All right, Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to start. We'll be picking up there. We'll work through that. As Justine said, we're in this season called Advent. Now, maybe you've never been inside the doors of a church before. Maybe you didn't, or you weren't a part of a church that celebrated Advent. And so let me just kind of give a little definition for that. So Advent is defined as the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. All right, that's all that Advent means is the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And so Advent in the church, as we speak of the Advent of Christ, it's the arrival of Jesus into human history. And so we talk about the Advent of Christ when he entered into human history, when he became flesh, when he was born as a child 2,000, roughly 2,000 years ago. Now, Christian Advent is a season in the church. We spend those Sundays prior just pressing into, waiting for, expecting Christ. And so when we look at that, we think, of, we think of all the things that are Advent. We think about, excuse me, think about all the things that are Christmas. We think about the, the added traffic, right, as people are out shopping and doing things. The family celebrations, the work parties, the gift giving, the, the, even the church services, the ministries. And sometimes we can have this misplaced Christmas. We can actually celebrate Christmas we can spend our time all this whole month focusing in on Christmas and absolutely miss Jesus. That we can spend all this time and we can miss Jesus in Christmas. And so what Advent is, Advent is us pausing, remembering, waiting, and expecting Christ. And so if you're a note taker, let me just give you kind of the main idea for today. Hoping for Jesus. What are you hoping and waiting for this Christmas? Is it for Christ to make himself more present to you? Anything else is misplaced hope. Any other wanting and longing will inevitably disappoint. And let me just say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, love, I love things and gifts. I love giving gifts. I love getting gifts. Like, I, I love that. But sometimes we, we wait, we long, we hope for something that new toy, that new tech gadget, that new whatever. And it seems like when we get it, it isn't very long until everything we were anticipating in that isn't really what we expected. And that's how sometimes Christmas can be. We can long for, hope for, want something. The gathering of the family, the giving of gifts, the getting of gifts. And sometimes when all that comes together, it's less really than we had anticipated would be. But when we long and we hope and we wait on Christ, that's when we find fulfillment and joy. Will you pray with me? And we will dig in. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for entering into human history, for coming in and joining us in our story, in our lives, coming in and entering in in flesh. We thank you that 2,000 years ago, you became the fulfilled promises of God. that all that anticipation, all that longing, all that waiting from the very time that sin entered into human history, God's promises began to be fulfilled in you. That thousands of years of anticipation turned a corner 2,000 years ago when you entered into this story. When you became flesh, God with us as we just sang. Help us to feel some of that longing today. Help us to have some of that anticipation, 
that desire to, to have you fulfill our lives, not anything else. As we look at Simeon and Anna, these two obscure figures that we don't talk about a lot, let us look to see how they anticipated you and let us, let us learn from them and, and maybe even grow and imitate them, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. It's all about you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 21. Um, do some of you need the lights? Do you actually use paper Bibles? Like there's Bibles underneath the chair in front of you. If one of you guys, can we catch the lights for them, please? I know we kind of forgot that. Is that cool? The house lights? Thanks, Joe. For some of you, if you still have a paper Bible, that matters. For the rest of you on an app, it probably isn't all that important. But I saw enough heads go, yes, we need lights. So, Good. With all the construction, with all the things, come some tech glitches. You saw that in the monitors, but I'm so excited that we got the wood done this week. Oh, yeah. yeah? That has absolutely nothing to do with the message. I'm just throwing that out there. In fact, it is so counter to what I just said a minute ago that we're so joyful about the wood, but you get my point. All right. Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 21. It says, at the end of eight days, when he, meaning Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus or named Jesus. The name given him, given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so here's, here's what we have. We're picking up the story. Now, I know that we're, we're talking about Advent. We're telling the Christmas story. We're, we're working through this season that if you're a part of the church... Or even if you're, uh, you're someone who attends church near Christmas and Easter, if those are things that you celebrate, if you've had any of that, you've heard this story. And a lot of times we start in anticipation of Christ to come, but we're picking up this story. Jesus is eight days old. In fact, the bulk of today's message is going to take place exactly when Jesus is 40 days old right? And so if you're a parent, if you've had an infant, you know, it's at that place, right? It's not even six weeks old yet. Jesus is not even six weeks old. It's, it's this early season where really we're still counting days and weeks. And it opens at, eighth, eight, at the eighth day. And really that's around circumcision, the covenant of circumcision over all Judaism or all Jewish males on the eighth day of their life, they were circumcised. They were brought to the temple and dedicated to Christ, uh, dedicated to God. And, and this happens even with Jesus. Jesus would come and enter into human history and would fulfill all the laws, all the promises all the anticipation of thousands of years of God proclaiming that the Messiah, the Christ, what we'll see in a minute, the consolation of Israel would enter into human history. And that when he came, he would fulfill all of what God has called us to do. He would live the life that you and I are called to live, that we have all fallen short of, that he would, he would come in and that he would do that. And so he submits to Jewish law. At eight days old, his parents, Joseph and Mary, bring him in to the temple to have him circumcised. And it says that they, are, they give him the name that the angel had told them to. So I want to give you the two passages that really speak to this. To Mary, Gabriel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now to Joseph, also getting a vision from an angel, says, she, meaning Mary, will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. I forgot, I got the new monitor up there. All right. So call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Here's what we're told about Jesus. You're to give him a specific name. And Jesus or Joshua or really pronouncing it the way they would have, Yeshua, would have, it means God who saves or God's salvation. 
And so just imagine, take yourself back over 2,000 years to a young girl named Mary, engaged to a man named Joseph, told, listen, you're going to have a child. And she's like, I have never been with a man. How is this going to be? The Holy Spirit is going to give you a miracle, a miraculous child, a child of God. And you will name him God who saves or God's salvation, the name Jesus, the name we say as Jesus today. And so this obviously takes place and Mary is now all of a sudden with a child and has never been with her and her fiance, Joseph. And of course, you can imagine how that went with Joseph. And so God must speak also to Joseph and say, listen, the child that she has is actually God in the flesh. Like she is carrying the promised Messiah. And Joseph, I need you. I need you to remain. Not, not think she's been unfaithful. I need you to remain because you're bringing Jesus into this world. You're bringing the promises of God into human history. And I need you to be with Mary. And here's what I want you to call him Jesus. And so now both Mary and Joseph have been told, listen, the name of this child is to be Jesus. He is to be God who saves. And so this young couple believing deeply, faithfully believing, they have this child they walk this out, and at eight days old, being faithful Jewish parents, they bring Jesus in to be circumcised. I want to read that again. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So there's a, a lot of Jewish law, Jewish tradition, Jewish faith built into this verse. And notice it's the day of their purification, not just Jesus. And then it talks about Jesus being dedicated to God. And so what you, what you have to know is 40 days in is where we are. And what happens is after a mom would have a child, have a baby, she would be considered unclean. And this has tons to do with Judaism, very little to do with us today. It has to do with uh, touching blood or having any of that, that there was a process. And really, it was all ways of God teaching us about sin and redemption and going through this process. And so when a mom had a child, depending upon a boy or a girl, there was a different time they would wait and they could come in and dedicate themselves back to God. They could endure some of the cleansing rituals and go through this. And it's at the same time that the mom would also, if this was the first child, would come in and dedicate that child to God. Now, that's not like if you've been in a church that does baby dedications, it's not like that. This is, this is our firstborn. We are giving him over to serve, to be of service to God. That might mean handing him off to be a priest or to serve in the temple. It might just say, hey, listen, God, do whatever it is you will do with this child, depending upon the setting and what God does. But the first one, understand your first child was given over to whatever God might want to do. Now, if you understand now, if you owned a business, normally your first son would take over that business. If you had an inheritance to leave, it would be given to that firstborn son. But God says, I want you to trust me, and I want you to give you the firstborn of every human, of every animal. I want you to trust me. 
In the church, you hear about tithing today, about giving the first tenth of what you make over to God. And, and, and it has two components. Tithing has really two components. First and tenth. And the word, that's where you get the word tithe is tenth. But really the idea behind the first part is faith. That you would take what is first and you would give it to God before you have more. So imagine if you grew crops and you took that first tenth or that first yield, that first harvest, and you gave it over to God. You were trusting God that more was going to come in. You were taking what you had, all, you know, all, maybe all you had at that moment, and you're offering it to God. And that's what's going on with Jesus. This is all they, this is Jesus. This is their first child. This is all they have. And they're saying, okay, God, you take him. You've made promises over Jesus you take him. You do with him what you would have him do. You take Jesus, and they're giving this over. The entire point of us pausing and reflecting during Advent is to give our devotion, care, and time to anticipating Christ this season rather than just the holiday busyness. So here's what I'm saying. As we lean into this season, are we thinking first of what we're giving to God? Are we, are we taking the first of our time, the first of, of whatever it might be, the first of this season? Or are we giving it to God? Are we saying, God, listen, this season's about you. It's not about the Christmas party I'm going to have. This season is about you. It's not about what I'm going to give or what I'm going to get. This season about you, it's not even about gathering together with the family, though that is a very good thing. It's not about my work parties. It's not about my shopping. It's not about my list. It's not about my holiday cards. It's not about anything. Christmas, Christmas, Jesus, Christmas is about you. And I'm willing to pause first and give my best to seeking you this season. Verse 24 says, And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so I just want to pause on that verse. And there's something really important here, and it just, it, it's something for you to think through. Mary and Joseph are incredibly poor, and so the sacrifice here is the sacrifice for poor people. And so just, just think for a minute. We live in a pretty affluent area. Now, some of you may feel like, hey, man, I'm broke. I don't have enough money to, I have, what does Dave Ramsey say? I've got more month than money, right? Like, I always run out before the time runs out, and I know you might feel like that. But in this area, in a suburb of LA, in Southern California, we're incredibly wealthy. Right? I've been all over the world, seen third world poverty, seen things where, where really they don't have food to eat each day. Broke for us means no Starbucks this week, right? Like we, we have a different kind of I don't have enough sometimes. And sometimes truly we're in need, I get that. But I want you to hear that as Jesus entered into human history, he was so broke, his family was so poor, that he had to give the small sacrifice given over to people that were, if you would, under the minimum. And so that's his family. That's how Jesus starts this journey. He doesn't come in through a king's palace. He doesn't enter in in, in big pomp and circumstance. He comes, he comes in broke into a family who has very little, but what they have, they will give. Verse, 20, uh, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
So there's a man named Simeon. This is an older man who attends the temple regularly. He's an incredible figure in Luke. We don't hear a whole lot about Simeon, but Simeon is amazing. He is, it says he is devout, he is righteous, he's older, he is filled with the Holy Spirit, and here's what he's doing. He is patiently waiting for the Messiah. So what happens with Simeon is when Simeon, at some point in time, when Simeon is, is praying and fasting and pursuing God and worshiping in the temple, Simeon's request of God is this, I want to see your redemption in my lifetime. He says, I want to see the consolation of Israel. Now, the consolation of Israel was another term for the Messiah, for the Christ. For the, and if you're unfamiliar with all these words, let me just say this. The first two-thirds of the Bible, what we call the Old Testament, is the story from creation forward and ends about 400 years before Jesus is born. And the vast majority of it is a history of people. It's this exchange between God and humanity that we might learn about God and we might learn about us. And then there's, there's these prophecies or promises anticipating the Messiah, the Christ, the promise of Israel, the consolation of Israel. There's a lot of names there. But here's what it is. It's God promising to come in and reconcile a sinful and wayward humanity to a holy and righteous God. It's God's promise of the gospel, the good news from God, proclaimed by God for thousands of years. And if you were Jewish back in this area, your anticipation was this Messiah. Your anticipation was God fulfilling his promises, keeping his word. And Jews lived for years, thousands of years anticipating this. And so here's Simeon. Simeon is a godly man filled with the Holy Spirit, righteous, devout in the temple. And we see him and his request from God is this. Can I see you fulfill that promise? The promise we're all waiting for. Can I, can I see that before I die? Let's just push pause for a minute and let's just talk about Christmas. Let's just talk about the things in our life, whether it be Christmas or any other time of the year. What are the things we're asking God for? And I, whatever they are to you, you don't have to say them out loud or anything else. Just consider what is it that we seek God for? And then listen to what Simeon wants. Listen, God, will you fulfill your promises? Not even just to him. Like, will you bring redemption to humanity before I die? This is like, God, my family is so messed up. Will you reconcile my family to you before I, can I still see that before I go? God, my community is so broken and so far from you. God, will, will you intervene in my city, the city I love? Will you, before I die, can I see you move here in this city, here in this state, here in this country, here on earth? Can I, can I see you fulfill your promises? I love Simeon's heart. He's like, I just want to see your kingdom take root here. Before I go, I want to see this. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. The modern equivalent of consolation or, or the modern equivalent of the Jews waiting on a Messiah is a lot like our political culture today. A lot of Jews were waiting for a conquering king. See, Judaism 2,000 years ago was under the authority of Rome. They're kind of a second-tier citizen, if you will. And prior to that, under Greek and, uh, Greece and Babylon and other, other countries, Assyria, all these different countries, they were actual slaves. And so they've gone from slaves to kind of second-class citizens. And they were under the authority of another government. And so many in Judaism were waiting for a political leader or a military leader. The consolation of Israel to them was Israel being brought to its prominence. 
Kind of like our culture today with America. America, whether it be making it great again or making it great once or whatever you might think, whatever it is, there are so many people that are waiting for our nation to be prominent. I mean, I want that too. I desire that for our country, but I want you to hear that this is very different. And that we're not, many were thinking about the next elected leader. Sound familiar? This is not that. This is that God would enter in and restore people to him. It's very different. Now imagine in our setting, city, community, our home, our families. You know, many of you have families that are of different faiths or of no faith. And your desire is to see them love Jesus like you do. Or maybe your community or your street, whatever. It's that kind of thing like, God, will you enter in here and reconcile people to you? That's what Simeon desired. He wanted to see the redemption, the other word for consolation, the redemption of God's people. So do our hearts match God's? We long to see in our country or in this holiday season, what we long, excuse me, what we long to see in our country in this holiday season reveals what we deeply desire in our hearts. Does our longing match up to what God longs for? Does our longing, our deepest desires, do those things match up to what God wants for us? Do we want to see people reconciled to God? And that, that doesn't mean that we're not allowed to desire and long for other things. But do we long to see people reconciled to God? Verse 26. And it had been revealed to him, meaning Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So the Lord's Christ, the Lord's there speaking of God, his Christ, his answer to the promises he has made, his Messiah. Christ is the Greek word, Messiah is the Hebrew word that just mean the fulfillment of God's promises. That, that Simeon had been told by God he would see this happen in his lifetime. Verse 27, now this is a passage with a lot of pronouns that mean different people, so I'm gonna fill in some blanks for you just to make it simpler. Verse 27, it says, and he, meaning Simeon, came into the, in the spirit, into the temple, and when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him, Jesus, according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, now let's pause there for a minute. So here's what's happening. It's that 40th day. It's that day we are talking about in the passage where, where Mary can come in and she can go through the cleansing ritual. She can reconcile herself to God after having a child. And, and Jesus, it's the time where he can be devoted over to God, handed over to the service of the kingdom, handed over to the service of the temple. It's Joseph's time to come in and give an offering. It's that time where they can come in and celebrate, have this service that is special and unique and redeeming and cleansing and holy. And Simeon is here in the temple and Simeon sees them. And Simeon reaches out to hold Jesus. And here's what happens. Simeon, these next few verses are, are Simeon. He is going to sing a hymn or a psalm on the spot to God. He is going to worship God as he takes hold of Jesus, as he lifts up Jesus. He is going to worship. Here's what it is. Verse 29. Lord, now, if you're, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Here's what he says. You're I'm, I'm ready to die now. I have seen you fulfill your greatest promise throughout history. I've seen you in the person of Christ, in this broke family's little child at 40 days old, can't speak, can't do anything, just 
this humble infant child, and God shows him this is it. And Simeon reaches out, and he grabs Jesus, and he holds Jesus up, and he begins to worship. Here's Simeon's heart. Simeon longed for God to fulfill his promises in his lifetime. Simeon's hopes and dreams were not for personal gain or possession, but rather for kingdom renewal. Do we long for God's promises more than anything else? Simeon literally says, I'm I'm ready to go now. I could die right now. God, you have kept your word to me. I don't know that I've ever longed for anything like that. Definitely nothing as godly as this. But Simeon is an older man. It says devout, righteous, filled with God's spirit. And when he sees Jesus, God speaks to him. And he says, listen, I, I can die fulfilled now. Verse 30. Again, Simeon still singing this praise to God. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He says, listen, my own eyes have held the promises of God in my hand. Like I'm so... Everything I've ever asked for God is fulfilled in this moment. I've seen him with my own eyes. Verse 31, still singing this praise to God. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. If you understand, 2,000 years ago in Jewish history, the promises of God and the, the, the message of God, God's, even God's redeeming covenants throughout time, the people of Israel kept them to themselves. A, a famous account of this is, of course, Jonah, right? Jonah's a prophet of God. He, he has the message of God to reconcile people to God. And, and those, that message was the promise of a Savior to come. And here's what you could do in the meantime as you anticipate this Messiah, this Christ to come. Here's what you could do. And, and Jonah's told to leave the people of God and to go tell these ugly, wicked people, these people that are super counter to God. And in fact, they are enemies of God's people. He says, go, I want you to go tell them this message. And Jonah says, no, <laughs> no, no, I don't like them at all. And he says, no, I'm not taking, no, and I'm not, and Jonah's really honest with God. He says, no, I'm not going over there and telling them because they'll repent. Like they'll change and I don't want them to. I want them to suffer under your wrath. I don't want them to change. You you just rewind 2,000 years and the message of God was really kept inside a closed circle. Here's what Simeon says, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your own people, Israel. Here's what Simeon says. This is salvation for the entire world. This is universal salvation for every tongue, tribe, nation, every people. Jesus will reconcile all kinds of people to God. If you're a note taker, this is a season to reach others. Christmas is the perfect season to share Jesus with others. People are gathering around the birth of Christ without really focusing on him. Our role is to bring Christ to everyone around us. That's what Simeon understood when he saw Jesus this first Christmas, this first Advent, this first few days of Jesus' life. He said, this is salvation for the entirety of the world. For Jews and Gentiles alike, this is the promise. Would we have that conviction as we see our friends and our family, our coworkers this season, that this is the season to share Jesus with others, to invite them into the love of Christ? Verse 33, it says, And his father and mother, meaning Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about them. Can you imagine? 
Now, they've been told before Jesus was even uh, born, as he was conceived, hey, listen, here's what I'm doing in you. But just imagine God told you that for a minute. Just imagine you're this young girl, this young man, and, and, and God says, listen, I'm going to bring salvation to the world through you. And then this miracle took place, and you're beginning to believe, okay, God is doing something amazing here, but still. And then you go through this pregnancy, and you carry it to term, you deliver this child, and 40 days later, as you enter into the temple, people who know nothing about this, you're just some other family going to the temple to dedicate their child and, and go through the purification and redemption ritual. You're just there to do that. And this old godly man walks up and just holds your child up and says, this is the savior of the world. Imagine taking all that in. In fact, imagine if we felt that way. Imagine if this year we understood like we have the savior of the world. We have everything to give away. To see people meet Jesus. We have the message of the gospel. We, we have Jesus. We hold him up right here. Here he is. Just like Simeon, if we could be so profoundly convicted, maybe the world would see Jesus a new way. Maybe if we were like Mary and Joseph, we just understood there's more to understand about Jesus, even for us. If you're a note taker, I said this, more to observe. No, no matter how much you know or have experienced Jesus, there's always more. Jesus should always call, cause awe and wonder because his revelation, his revealing himself to us is endless. None of us, starting with me, know everything about Jesus. Collectively, we don't know everything about Jesus. We are always learning. Jesus is always revealing himself to us. What if, what if we, this Christmas that, our, that we could just be so in awe and let Jesus reveal himself to us and that we could be so in awe, so inspired, so taken with Jesus that others would be in awe and they'd see Jesus in us. Verse 34, and he blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There's a lot right here in this, in this, in this prophecy that, that Simeon says to Mary. As he says he is appointed to divide the people. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Israel will divide around Jesus. There are some that will come to follow Jesus, and there are others that will, that will call to have him executed. Just like the entirety of the world is divided around Jesus, there are some that say he is God who came in the flesh, he is Lord and he is Savior, and there are those who say he's not. That Jesus will divide and then even in this church, if we sit here today, there are those who are on different sides of who Jesus is. Some that show up every week, and, then, and then this is just a place we go or a thing we do. And others who say everything in my life is oriented around Jesus. Jesus is a dividing factor. Yes, it says Jesus brings peace. He does. He brings peace between us and God. But the world is divided around who Jesus is. It says, and for a sign that he is opposed, he said, listen, all this talk about the fulfillments of the promises of God being in this, in this infant child, just understand he will be opposed. 
And that part of the prophecy is that he will not be widely accepted in Israel. As God has promised, he will be opposed. And then he says this to Mary, you will suffer. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. It will be Mary weeping at the foot of the cross, seeing her son crucified. He says, listen, he is the promises of God. But there's a lot between here and there. And Mary, you will suffer greatly. He says, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Uh, that word many, it just it doesn't carry the same weight as it's written in the original language. I'm, we're talking about a great number is what it's talking about. That, that a great number of hearts will be revealed. And really, this is that, that culmination of the gospel that Jesus enters into human history. God who loves us comes and enters into human history to rescue and redeem and restore us to him. And the gospel is this, that we understand that we're flawed and sinful and broken people and that we need a savior and that Christ came to be our savior and that the beginning of this, the Christmas story is the beginning of the gospel story, that Jesus enters into human history, that he lives the life you and I are called to live, but we fall short in, that we disobey, that we fail, that Jesus will live it completely. And that in that, Jesus will become the perfect sacrifice in our place. And Jesus, in front of his mother, will die stretched out on a cross. That he will be buried to cover our sin, but he will be resurrected from the grave to give us new life, to call us to something new. And that as Jesus ascends back to heaven, he'll pour out his spirit upon us. And now we wait. And now we wait for the restoration of all things. But in that is a gospel, and that gospel divides. That gospel, not everyone believes in, those, in that gospel. And so it reveals our hearts. It calls us to Christ. And this is that season that it, it will call us towards Christ, or it will push us away. Because Jesus is a dividing factor. Not everybody agrees on Jesus. He is either God and Savior, or he is not. Verse 36, and it says, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. She was an older woman, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. So now we see we've gone from Simeon to Anna to a woman who was with a man for a long time in her marriage, a godly woman. And when her husband passed away, it says that she begins to just spend all her time in the temple fasting and praying. She is just that, that matriarch of faith, that wonderful woman who spends her life completely devoted to her faith. Verse 38, it says, And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. That, that that consolation of Israel and redemption of Jerusalem, same idea. That she comes in and she enters in and she is waiting for this and she gets to see Jesus also. That God is revealing to these godly people who spend their time anticipating Jesus entering into human history. Simeon and Anna get to see this. They get to see this in their life as they're in there. And Anna starts proclaiming about Jesus. Just starts saying, this is the one. This is what we're waiting for. This is him. Verse 38, it says, And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption 
of Jerusalem, she too begins to praise. She begins to proclaim who Jesus is. So I just want to look at these two people. These are two people. These are, these are people that are clearly focused on Jesus entering into human history, on the promises of God being fulfilled in and through us. That as Jesus is firstborn, we get a glimpse into two people that would challenge us this Christmas season. This year, as we wait, as we anticipate the birth of Christ, as we, as we spend our time in this season of the calendar anticipating Christ, we have Simeon and Anna who lead the way for us, challenging us to treat this year different than each year. So how do we focus on Christ this Christmas? I want to give you three things that we would worship like Simeon. The reason so many Christmas carols are written, so by the word, the word carol actually in its original meaning is like a hymn. It's not like Rudolph, just so we're clear. It's songs about Jesus, hymns, psalms written about Jesus. Christmas carols were very specifically focused theological writings about Christ. The reason so many of Christmas carols are written, that's an incomplete sentence. I don't know what I was thinking there, but they are to reveal Christ to us this Advent and cause us to worship. Worshiping in anticipation of Christ. One of the ways that we can pause or, or, or stop the normal way we approach this season is to worship more, to gather together like our kids right now, our Sunday school class for our children. Every Sunday morning, they're gathering together and they're learning songs to sing for us right here on Christmas Eve in our Christmas Eve service. They are learning songs about Jesus to, to press them into considering Christ this Christmas, and, and we need that too. We can fast and pray like Anna. Take this time, this Advent, to focus on Christ in prayer and fasting. First, that Jesus would reveal himself in new ways to us. Then, that Jesus would be revealed to those who don't know him. Have you ever considered the Advent season to be a season of prayer and fasting? I know we talk about that in a Lent, in the season that goes from Ash Wednesday up to Easter. I know people talk about prayer and fasting, and sometimes they will fast from a specific thing those 40 days leading up. But have we ever considered that Christmas is also that season, that we would press in, that we would fast and pray, not only that for others, but also that Christ would reveal himself to us? And finally, focus your hearts. Focus on Christ and the kingdom that God desires. Protect your heart from being caught up in everything else. Nothing else will satisfy like Jesus. Nothing else this year, not a gift, not a family member, not a birth, not a death. Nothing, nothing if we fix our hearts on it will satisfy like Christ. Let's pray.